Hello, you bunch of little feather dusters, and welcome to episode 13 of Whippets and Flat Caps. 13. Mm. Unlucky for some. Yes. Will that be John Wilkin with talk of him getting knocked the fuck out once again in the PKB Derby this week? Or does he have revenge for that highly embarrassing moment of his career in his sights? John, would you say that you're anywhere near back to normal after getting schooled by Mark Flanagan on that fateful day? It's an interesting choice of words, Will. Um, schooled is one way of putting it. Another uh, is just an unfortunate minor brain injury that I suffered. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I think I'm back to normal. Mark's been dining out on it, let's be honest, the way Salford have been going. You know, it's good that he's had a bit of positivity this year. And if that was knocking out his business partner and good friend, by then, accident, then, you know, good on him for taking, uh, you know, every a cloud has out. a silver lining, doesn't it? And well, I we know Salford playing very well at the moment as well, actually. Yeah, they're on Friday. Night. But Mark is, Mark's bald and Salford are in the bottom oh, four. He's so. played, the, played that card very, very early. Sure. Uh, don't forget to download the podcast from iTunes, Podbean, or your podcast provider. Why not leave us an outstanding review while you're at it as well? And we'd love for you to follow us on Twitter at Whippets RL. On the subject of the PKB Derby. Um, injuries, the consequences of injuries, the psychological effect uh, of injuries. Nathan Mill is uh, a former England Rugby League head physio, worked at Huddersfield Giants, and now head physio at St Helens, which means he gets his hands on John Wilkin probably more than your wife Francesca does. Um, or should we call you? Should we call you Woody? Because I hear Nathan that your eyes are so close together that you look just like the cowboy cartoon voiced by Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah, I've had worse. So yeah, we'll fly with Woody for now. Then that's that's not too bad. <laughs> just um, just before we get started, Nathan, I just wanted to also for our listeners to sort of just tap into how weird John Wilkin is. I know they're getting a, a let's say a, a little little bit of insight as the weeks go by. But John, before coming down here to record the podcast today, you were in a petrol station, and um, you were rather than sort of getting out of your car and filling up your own car, you decided to stay in in your car. And no, no, no. It was a queue for people getting petrol. I, I wasn't, I wasn't just casually observing people filling the cars up. Well, ah, no, no. What what happens at petrol stations is when somebody pulls into a pump, you then don't get the opportunity to fill your car up till they've finished. Mm. So at that point, I was watching a guy fill his car up, and he was consistently trying to hit the zeros. So he's trying to land it on thirty pounds, and he missed it. He went over. Yeah. So he went to forty pounds. At which case he got really slow and he was on 90, 98p, 99p. But it went over yeah. £40, 1p. Then he went to £50. And I was sat there thinking, this guy is a psychopath. He clearly has OCD. But- yeah, yeah, but I was like, in what world? He's paying for it on his bank card. If this was a relic of using cash at a petrol station, I could understand it. But I was, I can't tolerate weird people like that. He should be locked up. What? Might be a bit strong. I think it's a case with the pot calling the kettle black there. John's as weird, know, weird as shop, anybody. I don't, I don't, I but just, in different senses though. Mm, yeah, well, we're all weird, aren't we? Including Nathan Mill, my physio at St. Helens, who's particularly unusual. So, Nathan, um, yeah. I want you to tell us all about yourself and everyone listening. But well, the, the first impression I get when I sort of shake hands with with Mark and with John, it's a bit like shaking hands with a with a coat hanger that's been jammed in a car door and then and then put through a blender. I mean, these guys have some 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 real issues with their body, and is that is that's your job to to kind of I mean, what can you do? What can you do with these with these d- dishevelled bodies? Yeah, not much to be not in John's case anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're um, they're a tough breed. It's a it's a very 
easy and difficult sport to work in in the sense that the, the tough guys who, who get through a lot and manage a lot with their bodies then it makes it easy for us to overcome the most horrendous of injuries um, and yet we have to obviously deal with the very difficult injuries as well so it's a difficult job for, for us as medics that work with the players day in day out John just give, give a little bit of insight and, and just give us a list of the problems <coughs> of, that you've of, had of, injury, of injuries of John well yeah John, I mean, let, let, John, John, let John listen first oh, and see if he's right well what do you mean like through my career yeah, no, I've yeah. had 16 surgeries well go on well, well, tell knees us what you've had. I've had four or five knees a shoulder four or three I know you're from Hull but how many knees have you got uh, yeah, no, I've had four or five knee operations, oh. um, a shoulder injury, which was pretty bad, that Nathan helped me rehab from, uh, a couple of elbow injuries, a neck injury, which was bad, a hernia, a badly broken nose, a couple of broken hands, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> so is there, is there genuinely an area that you haven't had damaged on your body, um, one of your limbs that actually move? Yeah, my abs, because I don't have any. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've got a body like a melted can. Uh, yeah, a Labrador. Imagine Mike, like a fat Mike, Labrador. So it's called Mark, Mike. Uh, <laughs> that was Matt. I'm stick with Mike for now. Actually. Mike Flanagan. Um, yeah, a full list similar to John's. I've had uh, probably more seriously two ACL reconstructions, which, one of which uh, Millsy helped me back with and, and did a sterling sterling job. Um, Hold on, Millsy. Broken ribs, <laughs> hand, um, shoulder ops. Can, um, can you operate on a, a personality? No, no. A lacerated tear duct, which was pretty serious at the time. I got um I banged I got a hospital pass and Ali Lawatiti all 130 kilos of him um, absolutely smoked me and then the hospital pass is a bad pass it's you, not some you kind know of that. early you access know that, don't to you the will? hospital yeah. No? Uh, and yeah and I've cut the inside of my eye which meant that I, I split the tear ducts um, in the corner of my eye and had to have pretty serious surgery had that not the surgery not have worked I would have had um, a tear in my tear ducts, which, which would have meant I had a, a weepy eye for the rest of my life. Weepy eye. So you know that all the Bond baddies, uh, one of them had a had blood coming from the start of his, the corner of his eye. He had to yeah. dab it all the time. Yeah, that would have been me. Just is that why you're dabbing all the that's, time. That's that's why I'm, uh, it looks like I'm crying, but I'm not really. So and you, and you've still got a little cut there above your left eye, which you know. Yeah, that was that, that's from two a couple weeks of games ago, ago, isn't it? Yeah. Because actually, before the game, before the Salford game on Friday night, Lee Mossop came in the box. And um, we don't go anywhere else apart from the box when we go to rugby league. We actually were eating prawn. It was a bit like prawn sandwiches. Yeah. We, we actually Old did Trafford. have prawn sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. Good. It is. Roy Keane would not like it. However, Lee Mossop uh, looks like he's been attacked by a, a herd of ferrets. Have you seen the state of his face? I mean, he actually is going down the plastic surgery route. Yeah, he banged heads with someone against Huddersfield and was concussed. And he had uh, such a serious cut uh, just above his lip that there was a hole pretty much in his face. And he had to have stitching on the outside and then inside his mouth as well, which, which was pretty bad. I mean, on that, there's some horrific injuries in rugby league, isn't there? And and I think what interests me, and, and this is for you, Millsy, really, is, is is in the time of your career, obviously you've been qualified for some time now, there's been improvements in the medical care for players. Um, how far has the game come in terms of medical provision and, and, and how injuries are dealt with in the sport in your eyes? Yeah, it's it's come it's come on like leaves and bounds really. So I started in academy uh, at St Helens back in 2003, and since that time working in both rugby and rugby league full time, probably since about 2008. It, the last 10 years have been massive gains with how we diagnose injuries. So I mean, obviously you guys know from getting sent from scans, it's it's pretty much immediate that we get a really good diagnosis. We know what's going on. 
and then we can form quite accurate treatment plans as to where we go from the next stage. And that advancement in rehab, there's been key researchers that have done loads of work, but predominantly around our sport, we're really fortunate at Saints. And I know that you know Craig Twist really well as well. We'll call with your uh, conversations with him when he's come in, but we're really, really lucky that with Matt, Matty Daniels, our head of performance, and Craig Twist, that we've actually done a lot of work internally to see what systems we use and are we doing the right thing for our players and, and getting good evidence-based practice and medicine out of what we're actually doing at, um, at our level too. So, yeah, the last 10 years have been massive. Concussion is a big one, obviously, from me and you have had those conversations over the last few weeks and it's something you've already referred to. You can't well. remember them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but concussion in the public eye, a lot of medical legal implications but it's actually driven a lot of contact sport now to to actually respect it so what what, what is a concussion millsy for people who you know concussions are a word we, we use very regularly i'm not sure how much people understand about it and i'm yeah. pretty sure that medicine doesn't fully understand it uh, in nah, its entirety but what is a concussion it's it's basically at the minute a list of subjective symptoms but it's it's indicative of a functional brain injury so it means that something has happened significantly enough to have caused that particular person a head injury that's resulted in uh, unconsciousness uh, disorientation uncoordinated movement issues we're talking i mean youtube blogs probably have that every morning when you wake up anyway so it's probably <laughs> <Most> <laughs> i'm mornings. always joking no it's I'm true <laughs> it's worrying um, but yeah, it's, it's a list of, of symptoms that we look at. So it's a clinical syndrome, but it's indicative of a functional brain injury. But we're becoming a lot more aware and able to firstly diagnose it on a pitch and act on it immediately. And then, then obviously return a player back to play safely um, with everything that we put in place for, for, the, for the management of that particular condition. Do you think that'll run and run, Millsy, the concussion stories? Obviously, the NFL and their Past Players Association have got well into sort of looking into the, the long-term implications of concussive injuries. You know, um, Do you see this being an ongoing issue for, for contact sports? Yeah, I, I reckon, obviously, the, the NFL and, and what's happened over there has driven a lot of our, you know, a bit scaremongery to be honest Wilco, about how we've how we've delivered protocol but it's actually benefited us it's benefited professionals and it's benefited players first and foremost to to make them safe in contact sports and i do think there's going to be things that crop up there is obviously in the next few years there, there will be things that come out of the woodwork with certain players in the past in contact sports that may have not have been treated to the level in which they should be now with all the protocols we have in place but I do think that the way that we've advanced the treatment, the diagnosis, the management and the safe return to play of concussion has come on massively. As you, as obviously you could probably say from your experiences and, and Flash's experiences in the last few years. Nathan, from the outside, and, and I'm here to ask the semi-stupid questions, sometimes fully stupid questions, but from the, from the outside, someone who's never been involved in a, in a rugby league dressing room or a physio room, it seems to me that that sport has this sort of mentality of um, in, in the off-season, you know, they've gone through a whole load of, obviously, with all the impacts that they're taking, a whole load of problems. But in the off-season, it's just a case of, 
let's just do what we can do, wrap them up, get them through another season. That you can't be so focused on every specific problem because you you just don't have the the resource and the infrastructure. Yeah, it, it's a really it's a really poignant question and, and very good question to be honest. Well, we we try and do the best that we can do to best prepare players to withstand the demands of the game. And that's a really long sentence. But what that basically means is we have an idea of what a player characteristic is dependent upon the player position. And that's through all the research that's been done with NRL athletes and also in Super League. So I know, for example, that Will Coe should be able to lift a certain amount of weight. He should be able, in, in comparison to his body weight, and, and this isn't me, actually, I'm, I'm saying it in, in my terms, but it's actually our performance staff, so it's mostly Matty Daniels, Eddie Gardner, and Ollie Ursa are our sports scientists that will look at this and address any potential issues that they see from testing that we do in the pre-season to try and eradicate any risk of injury that may be related to power deficiency, strength deficiency, or fitness deficiency, in a nutshell. And we also then screen... We look at certain movements of players. That's down to myself and, and our other staff members, Charlie Wilton and Ali McFarlane. And Ali does a lot of movement analysis, which has been brilliant for us. So it's we, we sort of do the best that we can do to make players as robust mm. as they can possibly be. Uh, the pre-season screening stuff will obviously include stuff that we do for concussion too. So we've got a baseline to compare against if a, if an injury was to occur and obviously you're you're at you know one of if not some might say the top rugby league clubs in in the country where do you think rugby league stands uh, alongside other team sports within within the uk when you look at cricket when you look at rugby union when you look at football where where, where are you um are you on are you on, on parallel with those with those guys or or are you chasing them constantly i i, I reckon genuinely we do fantastically well and I think we're really fortunate to be in this sport that we've got an opportunity to always elicit change. So what I mean by that is if we see research that's something that's absolutely outstanding for player welfare, for example, whether it's concussion related or any other uh, musculoskeletal injury, we've got an opportunity to implement those things in our sport. And that's because our sport's forward thinking. There may be certain budgetary restrictions that are involved with rugby league in comparison to other sports because of the obvious commercial um, sort of attraction of other sports in comparison to our sport. And I'm not downplaying our sport anyway. I think it's a fantastic product and it should be a lot more highly recognised. But from, from our perspective, both medically and performance-based, I think we, we, you're in such a, a, a super position when it comes into what we do in our sport and to try and do new things that develop players um, and also safeguard players in comparison to the restrictions that might be in, like football, for example, might not have those availabilities to to do those things. But you take more risks, obviously, than than football, and we all know why with with contracts and players' worth and so on. But do do you think rugby league, in general, takes more risks with players in terms of putting them out there when they they might not be a hundred percent? I mean, do, do players ever? Play well, I, I can I can think we we can shed a bit of light on that. I think there's a, there's a movement amongst players. And, and and maybe this it might be a cultural thing. Flash, you you might have an opinion on this. Is that culturally ten years ago there was an opinion that unless you were seriously injured, you got on, you cracked on, and you showed commitment to your teammates and to the club that you played for by by playing. And I'll be honest, in, during my career, um, I, you know, you play when you're not 100% fit, and I think that's just inevitable. Um, and I sometimes think in life. 
when things aren't ideal, your body's not in ideal shape, I think it's a good lesson, life lesson and for people to actually have a dig and, and put yourself out there not in... It's a selfish thing just to wait till you're in complete, perfect condition, no aches and pains, absolutely fine. They say, right, I'm ready to play now. Uh, I think it's something that's being lost. I think it's... It doesn't it happen like that, does it? No. Like I, I, During the season, I, I'd be fully fit and feeling fresh for less than half the games, I reckon. Um, and I think a lot of players are competitive and they want to play, they want to win, they want to earn a good contract. So... I, I've trained a lot of times, not fully fit, but in the hope that I'll be ready for the weekend. But if I pull out of a session early in the week, I won't be considered for that match. So and does that if, play on your mind when you're playing, when you're not fully fit? When you, we know, I don't, you know think, in, I don't think in a match it does, no. no. Um, before it might do, you, you kind of maybe worry or, or apprehensive about whether you can finish a game or, or you can play to your best. But you know there's someone breathing down your neck trying to trying to steal your spot. If you, you pull out of training or you, you, you don't want to play because you don't feel... 110% fit um, it just doesn't work in our game and I think there's a, there's a, there's a balancing act obviously and, and there's discussions that go on between coaches and, and physios and players and I suppose as you get older you probably um, you're probably able to take I don't want to use the word liberties but you, you probably looked after a little bit more you probably maybe on, on a Monday or a Tuesday early in the week you, the, the coaches and the physios look after you but um, especially early in your career you you're pretty bulletproof and, and robust and, and you, and you want to get through games and, and play as much as you can. Yeah, and how do you deal with that, Millsy? As a physio, you've got a player who's, you know, who's, who's maybe you know is not 100% medically right to play, but he's keen to play. I mean, what yeah. what's your role in mm. in that situation? Yeah. yeah, again, a really a really interesting question. I think what what we what we tend to do, and I'm speaking in in generality, because we, me and you, have had these conversations ourselves. Well, of course, it's quite a nice conversation to have, and me and you, Flash, have too. So, you, you mentioned the word risk before, Will, and I think risk is a, is a really strong word. What we tend to do, we do risk manage and we do risk assess, mm. but we link it to the severity of an injury and the potential implications of that injury worsening. So, for for example. I mean, I, you, do you mind me talking about you, Flash, with regards to, no, to knees and stuff before? That's fine. So, yeah, so so we, we went through a period of, of conservative managing of your knee and that didn't come to fruition. And then we ended up having quite a dramatic surgery when it came to an ACL. And it's decisions that you take with players alongside the information at hand, for example, with MRI scans, discussion with players, and then you formulate a plan. And that plan is always inclusive of what what we call the multidisciplinary team, which is, you know, doc, specialist, radiologist, coaching staff, player, player's family at times, you know, expanded amount of people involved at the club. And you, and you make a decision that's best for the player. But the only thing that we cannot make decisions on now, which is brilliant from our perspective, because it makes the decision easier for return to play, is concussion and potentially even at times cardiac problems, etc. So it's it that, that word risk is really important to, to use, but I think sometimes it's kind of a it, it's kind of a, a blown out proportion. I realise what you said, Will Cole then, this badge of honour's now gone when it comes to cracking on with certain injuries, but it's still gotta be present. You still gotta be tough because the whole nature of the sport is gladiatorial. That's why mm. it's such a spectacle. It's such a spectacle because you've got two blokes running against each other, as you two did three or four weeks ago, and as you'll do on on Thursday night, where it's you against him, 
and it's that 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 thing that attracts people to watching it because it is just it's purest state one man running another man as part of a team and um that's that's the brilliance of the sport so it's got to be a tough mentality and yet it's got to be a sensible mentality to that toughness what what I'm really interested in as well, Nathan, is is your relationship with coaches. Obviously, you worked with Steve McNamara at England. You were at Huddersfield but before that as well. And, of course, now at St. Helens. But your relationship when it comes to who has the final say, and, 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 and I guess it differs with, with different coaches, but now working with with Justin Holbrook, how how do you have those conversations then? You know, he will want to know certain things, but he'll leave it to, to you and to the experts. I've got to be careful now, Will. I've got to be really mm-hmm. careful because he's still my gaffer, so I've got to be... <laughs> Let's talk about Kieran then. Do you know what? I've been really, really fortunate that every head coach I've worked for, I've, I've seen to build a really good rapport with and they've all been different as as I've probably been different with them. And we've had a really good team at every club that I've been at, including international level. And I mean by team, I mean the performance side of things has always been fantastic. Justin has come in and he's, he's brought a a different perspective on how, how we monitor athletes and, and how all facets of the club filter into it from commercial to community to players to performance staff to coaching staff to the youth to physio-medical. It's been, it's been a different and an advancement on what, what, what probably I've seen previously with with, um, with other head coaches and that's not de- said disrespectfully to any other head coach, it's just been different um, and it's allowed us to do certain things with our monitoring as well, Will, like for example the global positioning system or GPS is something that the lads wear and you'll probably have seen it in the top of the shirts on game day mm. um, and, and that sort of gives us, a, without going too much into depth on the data because I don't want to talk about death by data or stuff that gives us some really good information as to what players actually do on the training field and what players do on the field uh, when they're actually playing a match which we can then say if a player's done more than they should have done they haven't done enough and we can formulate their load for the following week but that only works really with coaching staff buying into uh, that philosophy yeah. and being able to understand where we're up to. And that's one thing Justin's brought or it, one of many things. And it's about, I guess it's about staying ahead of the game in that sense, isn't it? There'll be some clubs who, like you say, they don't have the coaches who, who have the, the time or the resources to, to focus fully on that. And others who think that those fine margins are going to give you an advantage. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's one area where I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I'm involved in that. Um, I mean, without taking credit for anyone else's work, all the Ursa, our sports scientist, has done fantastic work on developing what we feel is important. And, and Matty Daniels above him has, has made sure that whatever research is available, we've, we've brought in alongside what we've learned. So we've got this anecdotal type information that we think is really important alongside the evidence-based stuff that's out there with the NRL and that's out there for our sport as well. Well, you have to, Millsy, there's one side of things is dealing with injuries and having a, um, an understanding of, of, of a to- you know, the, the human anatomy and, 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 you know, structures within the body and there's the detail of your job. But another side of your job and something that I see day to day and something that most people probably wouldn't comprehend is is almost the, the psychologist or the um, the companion you have to be. So when somebody yeah. gets a serious injury and you see people at their worst or maybe at their lowest ebbs, how important then to be a great physio 
to be a really good physio is is the ability to to be either a companion a point of I can probably um, allude to this a little bit and especially uh, with Millsy being on the on the phone um, after my ACL reconstruction I had surgery and then I went home for 10 days and Millsy came up to my house about three three or four times in that period um, he lives local you know, he it wasn't a big trip next door, I'm giving him a rap he's on the way he's on the way to bury it's not he's past him <laughs> he was um, and I'll, I'll always remember that actually because he came and cleaned my dressing and gave me a couple of exercises and he gave me some strapping and, and all sorts you of stuff. Cleaned your dresses, dressing. Oh right, good to pick up his check, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I gave him a tenner. Um, but no, no it's and, massive, and at the time, I thought that you went above and beyond as a physio, and I think it's something that you have to do. You have to kind of uh, be there for players, and, and because you're so knowledgeable about um, the injuries and, and recoveries and stuff, lads probably peck your head a little bit and pester you in terms of when I can I be back, when can I start running, when can I do this, um, and I think it, you're bedside nature in a way is something that um, was great for me and I think it's probably something you you, you take seriously (laughs) (laughs) no yeah it's a big part of the role isn't it Millsy yeah he's do you know what we say this a lot and it's it's the same for all of us this isn't a job it's a lifestyle it's and that's said in in, in the most positive sense imaginable I, I love my job my job is is really important to me and to know like I came to your place flash to have a look at you but I did that two two reasons number one you know what it's like in the environment you you, you build relationships with people that you actually genuinely do like them and I know that sounds far-fetched when it comes to you flash but I do actually genuinely <laughs> like them so, one of the few that is no, this sounds, this is a, this is a sounds unrealistic and weird now bullshit <laughs> it's calling bullshit <laughs> Um, but but, but you, you do you, you you spend so much time together in this intense environment and you just you think and you get through tough times and, and really good times and when injuries occur which are inevitable in a contact sport I don't care what anyone says they happen and they happen to every team and they're really unfortunate but what we do is we get together and we make sure we, we, we're there for each other and coming to you to have a look at your knee benefited me to have a look at your knee because I knew I was up to and I, I could then set my my brain working as to where we go to next. And then the second thing is I want to make sure that people are okay. And whether that's me or whether that's one of my colleagues, I think it's the, it's a really important thing to do because you're professional athletes. So that's the way you should be treated. You should be treated with an elite mindset that you're getting the best you could possibly get from the, 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 the staffing levels we've got. And, and the ability we've got to deliver what we have. So, yeah, if, I hope that answers the question. Probably, to got, some degree. probably got to have one of Susie Flanagan's lasagnas as well, which is... <laughs> you might have done, yeah. I wasn't that lucky. I wasn't no. that lucky. Um, part of... I don't know if you've listened at all. Uh, I was about to call you Millsy. Can I, can I call you Millsy? Okay. Right, yeah. Millsy. Yeah. Um, Finchie, isn't good, it, for the office? Looks like a great lad. <laughs> looks like a great lad. <laughs> apart from his eyes are too close together. And he's got very small testes. Yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> cool. Allegedly. Very Allegedly. cool. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, considering I've never met you before, Millsy, as well. <laughs> I don't know if that, uh, don't know if that came across, but... Um, what, what I wanted to ask you, on a, on a serious note... Um, Part of, the, part of this podcast is the nuances that is the play, hence the name, Whippets and Flat Caps, on the the stereotypes which hold the game back and, and discussing them and, and kind of trying to beat them away and, and put them out there as an open topic. Where do you think then in the in the physio world of rugby league, which is a huge part of the game, um, it's it's being held back 
in rugby league? Where where can it break those barriers to 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 make itself anywhere near where the NRL is, for example? Yeah. Um, do you know? Do, do you know what? Well, I don't. And this is this is sounds really protective. I don't mean it that way. I reckon we've got some some of the best medical representatives working in this sport and i'm not saying that in regards to me i'm saying it like i, I see the guy i work with every day who, who's absolutely outstanding and i can compare him to the best physios that i've worked with in the past and and think that he's one of them and that's just at our club so i, I genuinely believe that we've got some really really good forward-thinking staff the, the problem the problem is is in other sports uh, you mentioned the NRL. I, I don't know if the NRL are quite at the likes of maybe AFL, Rugby Union. It's staffing level sometimes. And it's the ability to be able to provide. We talked about that elite elite in, environment and what we provide for players. You'd love to have another four or five staff members to be able to lay hands on every players or at least have an assessment of players, deliver what we, we want to do in the gym. I think that's the biggest area. I think it's having an appreciation of performance to know that another two or three pairs of eyes in the gym watching people lift and making sure people are doing the right things in the gym, which is what we've got really well with with Eddie Gardner and with Matty Daniels and with um, Ali McFarlane, but expanding that and getting more. I do think we've got some fantastic staff. Um, I just think that we're slightly underlooked as a sport. So what we tend to do is lose really good staff to other sports after we've probably developed them mm. in an extremely challenging environment. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually. And, and and I just wanted to, we won't keep you for much longer because I know you're busy doing bits and pieces and eating and you, rather than talking to us all <laughs> evening. But um, I wanted to ask you as well the difference when you worked with England, the difference of, of what it's like working for, for at club level with a physio and then I guess going and working during a tournament or only during a, a set amount of time. Yeah. Um as a physio working environment, it's intense and, and it was fantastic for me. I loved it, loved every minute of it. Uh, really fortunate to work with Steve McNamara um, and probably Steve's influence and, and his opinions on sports science and, and sports medicine were very similar to Justin's. So it, it, it was brilliant for me, um, brilliant for every staff member involved at that time as well. Uh, but the, the intensity of camp is the one thing I'll always remember. It, it was full on. Play, play, you, you mentioned about badges of honour and player toughness and Wilco has been involved in that situation before you play for your country there isn't a calf tear that's going to hold you back there isn't a, a shoulder partial dislocation that holds you back these players just want to whack on an England shirt and crack on and play as soon as they can so the, the difficulty sometimes is being sensible about what a player can actually do if they were to play and if there is that risk where that particular player could could actually cause a bigger injury. So that was a couple of decisions that we had to make at certain times during camp. But we were so fortunate because we always ended up at the end of camp with with a relatively full and fit squad. And that's not just down to what 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 we did as a as a medical department. That was down to Mark Bitkin who worked as head of performance, um, John Roberts who who worked with the team as well, and and obviously the crew that worked underneath Mark. So. We, yeah, it was it was excellent, and the, and the ability to deliver more. So we had things like sweat analysis, blood analysis for recovery. It, it was it was just the elite of the elite, which is what international rugby league should be. It's what any international sport should be. Before we let you go, um, take us back to to that fateful day, um, PKB Derby one season <laughs> season twenty eighteen. That that moment where where Carol Wilkin 
was so furious, so angry, she she dropped her gin and tonic on the freshly hoovered she carpets never, of she, Langtree Park. Well, two, <laughs> two lies. Carol would never drop a gin. And <laughs> she secondly, never drop a gin. we would never hoover the carpets at Langtree Park. <laughs> that um, wouldn't be happening. I, I remember being in the stands, um, watching watching it all unravel, Nathan. what Firstly, yeah. you, were, you were pretty involved in that moment. Tell, tell us yeah, what I, happened. I, I, just, I just saw this fledgling figure fly through the air land on the floor very awkwardly and i thought hey oh, this is this is my call to get on here and then this dominant character standing over him in this stature that just said oh, no. expletives which i don't want to say which too big was- too strong i didn't <laughs> well, i tapped him on the side and said are you okay mate don't think you did well what, no, did, I, what did i say then John? don't think you said anything you were bleeding oh bleeding but i was fine <laughs> so did you have the first I, conversation with john wilkin i did i did and how yeah. did that go uh, normally mine and John's conversations on the hmm. field need to stay on the field <laughs> I on. bet it was a case no, no, of I'm alright I'm alright I'm alright I'm alright I'm alright let's, um, let's just dispel, like for rugby league fans who are watching this when physios come on and there's there's a, a communication between players and physios are they the guys at Ronald's that says water on the back but they're not actually oh, water boys sometimes physio it says physio on the back no but yeah. it, who the water boy they look like the physios no, no, they're the water, water, water boys. They don't have actual water boys, do you? They do you need like... everybody to have like scrum half? You get your scrum half, yes. scrum half on the back. Not, you don't have a Let's you don't have someone, you don't employ someone the, the club who's just a water boy, do you? Uh, yeah, he's a coach dressed as a water boy. And, he, and his, jo- his role is water boy for the season. No, it's I'm giving water out, but giving loads of really important messages. Exactly. <laughs> no, but Millsy comes, Millsy comes on, just he'll, like, he'll ask me a question and... In this this is completely me being unreasonable and, and, and being awkward is Millsy will ask me a question which is just common to like how are you feeling and I jumped to the end of that question was I'm not you think I'm not feeling great <laughs> so I'm like what like uh, yeah I use a lot of four letter words at Millsy which I'm often <laughs> have to apologise for at the end of a game um, but that's just uh, so Nathan <laughs> did you had to did you have to drag him off down the tunnel I, I, honest, honestly now Will and this is like going back to a bit of seriousness with that badge of honour there is no chance of getting John Wilkin off the field of play with any injury like, and, and that's testament to his toughness but that's that's the kind of mentality that players tend to have is nah I'm not coming off the field I'm, I'm staying on and that's exactly what he said to me in in, in, in more four, four letter words than, than than that but yeah so it's almost it's, like you need a, a sort of um, you know those those long sticks with the thing that you catch a wild dog with or a straitjacket to get him sort of down that's what you drink. need with him that's what you need with him and and, and Flash is the same all these lads are the same you try and bring someone off with a head injury it is very difficult at times to do that uh, but that's the brilliance about how the sport's changed with regards to the belief system on head injuries is that we are well supported to make those decisions and bring players off the field. Do you do the protocol then? Yeah, 100%. So well, take, take us through that. Yeah, so, so for example, John, John displayed what we call a category one symptom. So although John probably did do some of the testing, he was never going to return to the field of play. So we come off the fit. If, if, if we suspect a head injury, but we haven't seen a category one symptom, what's, a category, one, what's a category one symptom? Category, sorry, mate. Category one symptom would be, for example, unconsciousness, mm. tonic reaction, where you see the arm flag up into an extension position. Um, or does the face plant? Or does the face plant? <laughs> <laughs> A limpness to <laughs> a limpness to parts of your yeah. body. Go on, because this is this is fascinating, limp. and this is this is great insight that people just w- you know wouldn't wouldn't be aware of. Keep going. 
is and we, we bring a player off the field to play. We're very fortunate to have two doctors. So our, our pitch side doctor will stay pitch side. That's Simon Perrett, is our main doctor. And then our game day cover doctor that's there at every game is Paul Stockton. He will take the player into the tunnel. Paul Stockton will then bring the player in and sit the player down for a five-minute layoff period before we can assess the player properly. Mm. In that five minutes, the, the doctor will approach. We're really, we're, I'm speaking like fortunate, fortunate, but we're really fortunate to have a pitch side video footage which is purely for concussive incident uh-huh. so we'll so paul will then go to the to mark talbot who's our video analysis guy and that's at home games and he will review the game that, that obviously mark and and uh, and and john were involved in the altercation review the incident check for category one symptoms for example unconsciousness and then make a decision on whether the rest of the protocol will be continued with or not we do do the rest of the protocol and it's only because it's really nice to see what kind of baselines we've got after injury and see how sensitive some of the tests that we do are to detect a potential concussion and can i, can I just interrupt you there so th- those guys that you mentioned are any of them independent or are they all saint helen's employees we, we, we have to now provide at home games pitch side review but we're really fortunate that the club have been so forward thinking with Mike Rush in making sure that we've got one person who is uh, there every game who's a performance analyst who is extremely good at cutting and chopping video and giving us really quick feedback on potential injuries so that's Mark Tolbert and he's employed with the club and the two doctors are employed by the club that make the decision yeah, on, on the concussion. Two doctors are also employed. Do you think? Do you think there's any clubs that may um, not be as 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 on it as you guys in terms of concussions and might let lads go on when it's a bit of a grey area? Difficult one, Flash, because I reckon I reckon I've been involved before these protocols came out and before we knew what to actually do properly with these injuries, like I'm talking six, seven years ago. I don't think we, we, I think there's been times where we haven't properly treated these conditions 100% and we've allowed players to make the decision for us, which is absolutely not the way that these these conditions should be dealt with. Do I think other clubs do that now? I, I hope not. And I hope that with all the mandated guidelines that are present, and with all the support structure that the RFL provide, and that, that all clubs provide at Super League level, that these injuries, um, although at times may potentially slip, but not intentionally. And, and it's such a, I guess this is such a crucial area that we're talking about here, in Nathan, because you know you go back to all that protocol, but then also the, the months that follow and how careful you have to be on a match day. You look at Lance Hohaya after the Ben Flower punch and, and everything that that led to with, with St. Helens and all this stuff will have to be recorded because some of these things could end up in a court case. Oh, 100%. And, and that was obviously a really poignant case that was in the press for quite a while with ourselves and that was something that I was involved in as well as our medical staff. So it's you've got to be... We've got to be... <laughs> I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. The first and foremost thing and the reason why all these things are in place are for player welfare and safety. That is the first and the absolute uh, epitome of actually providing these protocols and putting guidelines and mandated guidelines in place. Following that, though, there has to be, like we would do with any injury, a really good recording system where we can see if there's any fluctuation with a player that may indicate that they are under the influence still of a concussive event and then we can make a decision on whether we need to uh, go through further testing, whether we need to redo any type of baseline testing or comparison to baseline testing. 
um, and that and that comes down to the medics that are involved. It's a, it's not a it's not as much of a minefield anymore. It's a bit more. It's always going to be grey, but it is a little bit more black and white with certain tests that are out there that are a lot more sensitive. Nathan, I really appreciate you coming on. That for me was. Uh... As fascinating, if not more than than Damien Hughes last was week, it? which says, no. I, I think it was. I think it was brilliant. I think no, that, that from people outside, that stuff that you take for absolutely granted, you mm. two sat here for some for some idiots like me on the outside who don't. That that was absolutely brilliant. So I really appreciate that, Nathan. And just before we go, in true whippets and flat cap style, we should probably give you the chance to say, um, you know, if you had to knock someone out um, in the game, <laughs> you know, maybe a St Helens staff he member, maybe it's anybody. Justin Holbrook. Who would that be? He Nathan wants to say anybody. Oh, would he follow I, up with I the like protocol? <laughs> I, re- I reckon. I reckon if if there's if there's one person that gets on my case on game day, it's got to be John Wilkin. Like, yeah, the yeah. That throws at me. It's counterintuitive for you to knock me out, though, because then you're gonna have to treat <laughs> we'll me. Work on you. You're gonna regret this, Nathan. <laughs> you scare me. You scare me with your overall mong strength. I've told you that before. You, and the size of your biceps. You scare it's me. Ridiculous. Sat, I can hear the reverberations. That sounds like you sat in a very very large room. <laughs> Oh, don't, no, don't do it. Well, you he gets paid very well. No, I'm just saying Millsy has a very fine house and a very yeah. prime position on a hillside. And a lovely wife. the Greater Manchester area. And a lot of leather-bound books. He's, uh, yeah, he's got a gla- you've got a glass staircase. Would you like to talk about that? <laughs> no, just before you go. He has a lot of Vivian Westwood kit as well, doesn't he? He does, unbelievable Ooh. fashion sense. There's a waft of lavender when Millsy walks into the room. Well, <laughs> put that Nathan, that um, we'll let you go there, but despite having eyes only a centimetre apart and a glass staircase and dressed head to toe in Vivian Westwood I think you're a great guest and really appreciate you coming on cheers Millsy no, thanks Millsy thank you see you part. get him off the field that was diabolical okay let's talk about something that was in the Guardian last week Leon Price warning that overcoaching is affecting England's ability to match Australia just bring you a little bit of this he says that um, young English halfbacks are being overcoached and prevented from playing the way which could be the answer to ending Australia's dominance of rugby league um, across the world. Uh, England, of course, came to within one game of winning the World Cup, didn't they? We all know that. Just some quotes from him. He says, I worry that coaches are working with these young kids, and in particular the halfbacks, stopping them every two minutes during training and scrutinising their every move. Uh, And in truth, just overcoaching them. He goes on to say, we can't keep overcoaching these lads. Let them play. Let them try things outside of the box. It's the only way we can compete at the highest level against the best in the world. He says the likes of Lee Breers, Sean Long, Paul Cook were all coached by players themselves and they learned by making mistakes. We're blessed with a crop of highly promising youngsters right now. Players like Jack Walker, Danny Richardson, who of course plays with you, John. Uh, they look like phenomenal talents. If they keep going down this path, they could easily be the answer. But a lot of what they do is down to what they're taught day to day. Do you think this he's got a point here? I disagree. Yeah, go on. Why? Mark Flanagan disagrees. I read this article um, and I think... He alludes to the fact that we're we're not competing with Australia uh, and New Zealand at the top level, uh, and I think that's uh, a lot to do with that is because they've got um, playmakers um, in the key positions that manage games better, and um, when it's a tight match, uh, they take the low risk options, which kind of put their team in in good positions, and they play low risk rugby and then take the chances when they get them. I don't think. Halfbacks playing a riskier style of play will help us on the international stage. I don't think chipping over the top or um, p- coming up with wonder players will beat Australia. I think we need to develop players with better game management, so that's a better rugby brain, so that's kicking at the right time, that's um, completing your sets, because rugby league's a, um, 
at the, the highest level is, is a war of attrition. It's a massive energy battle, and whoever comes out of that energy battle and takes the chances wins games. And I don't think um, pushing players to play riskier will will help that. So have you ever seen that at Salford? Your halfback's been sort of you know yeah. deliberately taken to one side and, and coached more than other players. I don't think they deliberately deliberately taken to one side. Um, however, I think the best teams have good halfbacks that that can manage a game and 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 play the the game in the right parts of the field and 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 win the win the energy battle and, and the field position. I don't know what you think. John. Well, I think that this isn't a bit of nonsense in it because ultimately the biggest problem in rugby league is we need more people, more young halfbacks to play more rugby at a younger age, and that's the ultimate equation to beat Australia uh, I'll factor into that as well really smart coach education programs for young coaches I don't see that we take coaching seriously in this country it's a hobby for for, for fathers and for you know for, for parents of, of young kids who are playing is to go and coach their local junior side but ultimately I think the biggest issue we've got in terms of recruiting young halfbacks into the game of rugby league is there's not enough of them and not only that is that realistically we play rugby league in the north of the country that's piss wet down for six months of the year and the ability for young kids to be able to get out play rugby league and to actually make mistakes when they're young is limited there's not enough young halfbacks in the game full stop so I think worrying um about overcoaching, you know, uh, is is one of the issues we've got, but it's certainly not the biggest issue. Do you think halfbacks are overcoached? No, I or think undercoached. By you, you mentioned Danny Richardson, but so by what about def- him? But by definition, your halfback is. If you imagine, if we use this as as the human body, the halfback is your brain of your team. So they need more information. They need uh, more tactical. Awareness. It's they a need, unique position as well. Yeah, they, they need they need to be. If you're a great halfback, what are you? You're a fantastic communicator. You have to be. You have to be tactically aware, technically fantastic. You have to have a well a well-rounded skill set. It's not like you, you you have to do your fair share of defense defensively. You have to make good decisions. So in rugby league, the halfback gets more coaching than anybody else. What Leon I think is referring to is that formulaic sort of structured halfbacks a prime example would be me right I played halfback for St Helens so did Mark in the grand final yeah we we played exactly the point so through structure now coaches have developed ways in which halfbacks can you can mould somebody into a halfback position simplify it dumb it right down Mm. but the best halfbacks in the world have a freedom of thought a freedom of decision, an understanding of space, an understanding of timing. But that's what he's saying, isn't it? That that is a coached out of them. But I don't think that's coached out of young halfbacks. I literally think we do not have enough good young halfbacks coming through. Well, he's talking about Danny how, Richardson. How, how, okay, can for, you, how can you play as a young halfback in this country when predominantly those positions are taken up by experienced players? You get a halfback who's proven himself at 2021 to be a good scrum half or standoff. They're playing Super League for 10 years in that position. Danny Maguire. Rob Burrow, Sean Long, Leon Price, 10 years in a position. How many positions are there? 12, 24. So you've got 24 halfback positions. And if you're talking about specifically scrum halves, there's only 12 scrum halves in the competition. And if 10 of them have been around for 10 years, how the hell does a young halfback play? 
Mm. It's impossible to play. So you don't get picked for a start. So why would you become a half? If you're a young player who's quite talented and a gifted rugby player, you become a centre or a back rower because you're twice as likely to get picked. Why would you be a half-back when there's probably a senior Australian... What if they're too or, small to play those positions? Well, I don't think Rob that Rob Burrow's not going to play a second row, Jack, Jack Walker, what, do you think he's too small to play full-back? I think size well, similar, is a nonsense. Similar these days, size, size Six, seven, one are very... Yeah, size, size is a nonsense for me. Well, this is the what biggest is. issue is that there's not enough young kids playing rugby league. Mm. And that manifests itself in we don't have a huge amount of... Right, when you've got 100 half-backs, there will be 60 that are structured and, and quite organised and able to follow uh, instructions very well and can do a proficient job. There may be 20 of them who are complete mavericks, who are a nightmare, who go off on a tangent, who can create things out of nothing but are flighty by their very nature. And then there might be 20 who are actually able to combine both innovative thought, creative thinking, create space and time, but then also accept decision and game making game plan and, and decision making and the issue is we don't have a hundred mm. we have ten okay what would you say to this then because he he says that there's a formula in rugby league that seemingly works and it's about completion rates and always taking the safe options i'm not knocking any particular coach or any specific club but if you go to australia you'll see that the halfbacks are taught to play a completely different way down there but you said that I, but, I don't it, agree but, with but that. what he, what he's referring to there leon i know leon really well is he's referring to melbourne storm so well, they've got a formulaic structure. Yeah. But Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater and Cameron Smith are three of the smartest rugby league players in the world. Well, he mentioned some other names. Look, we've continuously matched the Australians in the forwards for the last 15 years. But it's in the halfbacks, and I include myself in that, where we fall short. The likes of Jonathan Thurston, Darren Lockyer, uh, Andrew Johns have all been able to dissect the game with the skills and risks they're encouraged to try from a young age. These days, it's much easier. He but says, I, don't, I don't think they do take many risks. In nah. the big games, they play low-risk rugby, and when they do get opportunities or do get chance to show the flair, they'll take it. But predominantly, they're great game managers and they're great kickers and great talkers and great passers, and they lead the team around the park. There will be chance instances when they take risks or they do pull something out of the bag, but it's, I think it's fewer and far in between than you we, think. If we go back to the real basic, fundamental parts of rugby league, is Australian players catch the ball better and pass the ball better than English players. And that is complete product of their the environment in which they grow up in. Warm weather, outside lifestyle, ball in hand, not on a muddy, wet pitch in some backfield that's got... Yeah, exactly. You're running around dodging dog turds, you know, on a, on ankle deep in mud. You know, what what is the incentive to play rugby league in the north of England when you're a young kid? Just go, you play, play on your PlayStation inside. You might as well. I'm saying that that in in Australia you're on a beautiful field, you're in the sunshine. Thurston, Cronk, Cameron Smith are out as young kids playing rugby till it got dark, coming back inside, developing skills playing unstructured games with the mates and our problem is one of numbers we don't have enough kids who play and two a product of our environment we, we, it's the north of england is not conducive with getting a ball out and playing on a, on you know on a muddy pitch and getting the best out of people so therefore you would say that our forwards would be competitive because the really basic stuff you can go in a gym when it's wet and cold and lift weights and the gyms in Australia are no better than over here. So the forwards, you know, are competitive. We've got big guys who can be competitive with Australia. But when it comes in terms of development of skill, the acquisition of skill, 
and game management and game planning and understanding, we are nowhere near Australia in, in terms of their development of those players. And I think Leon is frustrated because maybe he thinks that the answer is in the halfbacks. Well, the answer is purely a numbers game. We need more young players to play the game more often. And then also, we need an investment in junior coaching that's serious. Our coach education programme needs to be looked at because the junior coaching um, in, in this country, I, I think, could, could, could go a long way. It's heavily dependent on volunteers with loads of great will and effort. But Is that the same in Australia, though? Yeah, it is. But, but what I'm saying is they've got more numbers. The, the pyramid's bigger. The base of their pyramid is so you, wider. So you're saying with a smaller period, they need to be a better coach. We, yes. So exactly. we get the best out of the few kids that we get. Exactly so how much right. of the training that you do, both of you, is unstructured? Yeah, we do lots of unstructured Both. games. Well, yeah. that, that's that. The game is structured and unstructured at times. Um, some teams play more unstructured than the rest, like Leeds and Warrington, for instance. Play with a lot of offloads. They play very off the cuff. Whereas Wigan won won the comp in two thousand and eleven and twelve, having a team uh, and a game plan that every opponent knew was coming, but they still couldn't stop it. And they were, that was so structured, but it was so effective. Uh, I think teams now. I think Saints are a good example. You can play both depending on the game. You, you have a structured game plan, but when you see something, you adapt and you, you take that on what's in front of you, don't you? Yeah, and I, uh, look, if we just go back to the comments what Leon, Leon made as well, is Leon, as I, as we spoke about with Damien Hughes last week, at the time Leon was playing halfback for St. Helens, we had Kieran Cunningham, Sean Long, Leon Price, three players who thrived in an unstructured envi- environment. So that was a star culture which Damien Hughes spoke about. We just had the best players. So really, it didn't really matter what we did. We were going to win games. And they could not follow a plan and just do what they liked and, and be more creative and be more off the cuff. And, and that worked. But realistically, rugby's about winning matches. And Leon, to a point, is right because structured teams and teams that practice structure and, and are organised win games. But... within that structure there's layers of complexity so you can look at really simplified game plans on appearance and actually there's so much detail in that really simple players in rugby league the devil is in the detail so if you execute a player with detail um i think that's that's um you know that that is the difference between being good and great i'd also say that mimicking in sport is one of the biggest failings at top level is where you seek to mimic somebody else but you don't understand why you're doing it and that happens at junior coaching level it happens at professional level where you see something and you believe you're replicating it but you don't replicate because you don't understand it and I think that's one of the guilty sort of indulgences of rugby league across the board John Wilkin, you want to talk about private life and public life in sport, which we, we've semi-touched on before with mm. Jamie Carragher. Have you got a semi now? Um, not right now, mm. but I might do by the end of this conversation. Excellent. Albert Kelly has been caught out, hasn't he? Um, Albert Kelly was filmed launching a drunken tirade at a female McDonald's worker. I don't think she worked there. I think she was just another customer. No, she worked there. She's called Kelly and she was behind the counter. Anyway, that's... Yeah. Uh, And it kind of went a little bit... She was called Kelly as well as Albert. Sorry, what? What? Is Mark listening to the same? Albert Kelly was being 
served by a woman called (laughs) in McDonald's. No, we don't need to start again. It's pretty clear. Um, look, anyway, I don't know if she, I don't know if she's called Kelly, but forget it. There was someone, there was a girl behind the 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 counter serving Albert Kelly. Okay, and the conversation went something like this. Uh, I think he was a little, had a little bit to drink, hadn't he? And he was mm-hmm. helping himself to some McDonald's. He was paying; he wasn't just stealing it. Um, mate, I'm mucking around. I don't know who this bitch is. I don't give a who she is, but she needs to float her boat before I float her boat with my concrete. Look at your eyebrows, you slut. When the worker questioned uh, why Albert Kelly uh, was having a go at her and what he meant by the comments, he said, did I stutter, slut? Did I f- stutter? And carried on calling her a little whore. Um, John, second chance for Albert Kelly? Well, look, the, the, I think the, 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 the bigger talking point here for me is not, not necessarily Albert Kelly. I don't think anybody in the right mind would condone that behaviour. And I don't think in any walk of life that behaviour whether you're in the public eye or not, that behaviour is not acceptable, is it? It's just not um, respectful of, of, of people around you. And you just can't speak to people like that. And he he, he knows that. He's obviously inebriated, his judgment's impaired. Um, that's not an excuse, that's just a, a matter of the fact. But I thought one thing that's interesting for me is Albert Kelly's got a public profile and he would probably... Um, arguably want a private life but people who have a really private life seek now in the modern world to have a public lifestyle so for example the intention of this video is to get that person uh, who posts it interaction and, and so do you think it's wrong that that video is posted? not at all no I think in this situation look Albert Kelly's that far off the, 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 the beaten track of what's normal and ordinary that it's exceptional but there's a wider sort of thing is that what is people's private life now and it, people in the public eyes, private life is is constantly recorded. Is, is, is but hold on, that is mad. You saying that is madness. So, so you you think he deserves a private life if he behaves like that? No, in public? no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. What I'm saying is that there's. It's quite an interesting thing for me that people who have a public profile, um, you always want what you haven't got. So Albert Kelly's got a public profile. He's got a sort of notoriety and 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 essentially, you know. If, He's famous, very famous within Hull for for for, for a number of reasons. Um, he would seek to have more private life. Like for me, as a, as a professional sportsman, I enjoy the public things what I do, but also really absolutely value my private life. Like I I don't necessarily want all of the things I do in my life making public. Now, Albert Kelly's lost the right to that by the way he behaved yeah. because it made it that compelling to make that public. And now we don't know the context. You just don't know anything about well, this clip. Is, the context do doesn't matter. Does no, it? it doesn't. It doesn't. But what it can do is lead you into understanding maybe Albert Kelly's behaviour. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. What I'm saying is we've only got a clip to judge. And on the clip, all you can say is Albert Kelly is that far out of line that it's quite shocking. I, I think I think if in any other sport, Mark... Um, had, their, had a club seen their player behave like that, whether it's cricket, whether it's football, whether it's rugby union, you lose your job. Yes, I agree. Uh, I don't think Hull have made a comment on it yet, so it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Um, just, just to comment on what's what John said, I, I think it's quite uh, it's a mod, it's a modern symptom that uh, of of today's society, and especially in sport. I think rugby league fans and the rugby league community are very proud of the fact that players are part of the community 
Um, they're upstanding citizens and they're one of their own. We're not, we're kind of, we're not that far removed from from the speckies on the sideline. And the fact that Albert Kelly's probably been in McDonald's and, and probably thought nothing of it, and uh, I don't think you'd, you'd see too many footballers in the same circumstances on a, on a Saturday night. But um, saying that, he's, he's there and he's he's been videoed, um, like I said, giving a tirade of abuse to this lady. Um, so it's it's kind of like. The fans like the fact that they're they're sticking around their own, but then they're quick to catch them out and record things. Because I'm sure a lot of people have have said things that they shouldn't have done and done things. But it's a, it's a symptom of society these days that everything's yeah. recorded and videoed and filmed. And, and isn't it the case now that people are out to catch people at the best and at the worst at all times? And we saw it with Jamie Carragher. We had a good long chat about Jamie Carragher. But people are out to catch you at your best and your worst. And in the modern world, as sad as it is, if you're in the public eye, you've got to be expecting that you know you're going to be filmed and you will be recorded doing things that are you know maybe um you know not 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 consistent with with your character but i i think it's it raises an interesting topic in life in general is where is public life and private life and where is that line and where does it sit but okay and are I you entitled to a private life if you're in the public eye are yeah. you well you're in the public eye are you entitled to a private life well, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, it's debatable. But when you, be- like, going back to what we just said, when you behave like that, put yourselves in the shoe, right? You both own a, a, a coffee shop. If he came into your coffee shop and talked to a member of your staff like that... Oh, yeah, but... We're not, we're not, no one's condoning it. We're not, I know. No, but but this is my point. He, he, has, he has profile. This is a guy, right, who has come over from the NRL for his second or third chance, right? And he's messed up again, John. So, yeah, no, no, I, look, I'm not... I just think it's interesting now in the modern world. Like 15 years ago, these kind of things would be happening, right? Rightly or wrongly, they would have gone maybe mouth, you know, people would have talked about it. Hearsay would have said, oh, so-and-so acted in this way. But in the modern world, everyone's instant reaction is good or bad. Something horrendous happens. There's a car crash. Somebody's having an argument in the street. Somebody of public profiles letting themselves down. You know, when um, Ant McPartland, you know, was crashed his car under the influence, there was first thing was cameras were out filming him. There's an obsession now to capture people at the worst, and I think it's it's quite sadistic um, and abusive. But also, because I'm in the public eye to a certain extent, I I understand that you can't behave like that. You just can't behave like if that. If that had happened in Australia. Yeah. Right. When he was, I mean, he's, he's, he was a pretty big name in the NRL, right? Wasn't he? Before he came to, yeah. to England. Look, there's different rules in Australia. To, but would in that the have NRL. blown up more than it has done here with a couple yes. of papers yeah, picking yeah, up yeah, on it's it? Yeah, big, it bigger would, profile, bigger it, sport. It yeah. would have done, without doubt, yeah. And I think they're less tolerant of it because why? The talent pool's bigger. Whereas so, over here, you know, we do maybe give second chances out because there's not as big a talent pool. So well, where does he go? Where, is, where does he go from here? I'm just, I'm just so confused. Well, he would probably would... go to Burger King next time. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, K, maybe, maybe KFC. But I'm, if I'm you not, watch I'm, the video of him doing it, actually, the weirdest thing is he's just holding four chicken, just chicken want, nuggets. Fellow just wants some nuggets. He just wanted his nuggets. But, but on a serious note, I'm just confused that someone would be like Ben Barber, for example. Okay. He he was given his second chance. He to me he looks like someone who's taken his second chance and will go back to the NRL. May not play for his country again, but is going to go back on a huge deal and be a star again in Australia. When yeah. when th- this guy, no one will touch him now because because of this incident. 
How do you know that? Well, no, we well, would then. That's a good question. No, no. Yeah. Would the NRL touch him again it, after seeing something like that? Well, it depends how many blots you can have on, on, on well, your, you'd, your CV. You'd give them a full copy book, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. But what I would say is that everything for life happens in a reason. And we're very everyone's very quick to pass judgment in, in the modern world. And I think, look, it's wrong what he's done. Um, he'll wake up the next morning and know that that was wrong and he'll see the way he behaved and he'll be embarrassed. You know, he should be embarrassed. And it, it's a horrible reflection on rugby league. It's not a true reflection of how rugby league players behave. But that being said, when you're in the public eye now, you have to expect, and I'm not saying that it's wrong, Will, what I'm saying, you have to expect that your private life doesn't exist. So you, you cannot expect to have a private life in the public eye. And the higher profile you get, the more you see people become reclusive. And essentially, the more wealthy and famous you get, the more isolated you make yourself. But and think, and, and, and rugby league sits in a position now where, as a professional, you get all of the benefits of being a professional sportsman. You play in front of thousands of people. You play on TV. But realistically, you don't get any of the downside. The public side of things is is not negative. So you get all the benefits of being a professional sportsman, but none of the negatives. So in the, in the NRL, for example, this would have been scrutinised. It would have been written about in gossip columns. Mm. Whereas a rugby league player, you tend to get the best of both worlds. Now, that will stop happening if Albert Kelly and players behave like that in a public fashion because people will try and then catch rugby league players out. You know, it'll be a thing to, to catch players out at the worst. And I, I just don't like that about society, really. If I, if I saw somebody having a bad time and really drunk on the street, I would not necessarily think to, to record there, there would have been rugby fans in that McDonald's that probably would have had a picture with him or sat down and had a chat with him and... It would have made their night by having a chat with them, and it was it would have been a great experience for rugby fans to be amongst an Albert Kelly and and be in their company. Now, on the flip side of that, he's obviously um, I don't go at this woman, and the fact that she's recorded it and and and, and maybe benefited herself by selling the story or whatever. She's well within her rights to record yeah. someone talking to her like that. Well, I'm just saying there's, there's two flip sides of one person in, in a McDonald's on a Saturday night, and I think with society these days and iPhones and all the rest of it, these op- these opportunities for and, and experiences of fans being with the players are likely to become less and less if people are going to catch catch them out whenever they're having a bad time. But I don't time. think anyone gives two shits what he does. But when you cross a line, like you said, and starts calling someone a slut and a little whore and so on, yeah, yeah. in such an aggressive fashion, then no. that becomes oh, it's someone's a, issue. Look, and we're not. Look, it's far from condoning that behaviour. Like, there's nobody in the world would condone the way he behaved. Like, I don't believe. But what I'm saying is that look, we, we need to be conscious, I think, of, of, of um, you know, how much your private life is scrutinised. Albert Kelly, you know, going into a McDonald's and, and, you know, spouting off as he did, you know, it takes it into the public realm, doesn't it? And he's been filmed and recorded. I just think it's a sad symptom of society that we try and catch people at the worst and we take enjoyment out of filming it and, and recording it and being the first to post somebody having a bad day. When social media and, and the modern world is all about showing how great your life is and look how fantastic everything is, well, you know, isn't it sad that we try and catch people out and we, we you know, we really look for the worst in people? And that might be idealistic and it might be a bit naff and crap to, to think like that. But, you know, when I watched Albert Kelly, I felt embarrassed for the sport. I felt embarrassed for him. And then I also felt a bit sad and thinking, well, is that what we've we've come to now that, we, we you know, we're obsessed with catching people out? Send the 
Question time. Let's start question time by firstly applauding physically and metaphorically last week's winner of um, lunch for four slash dinner for four slash any mm. day of the week food for four at Riga Bianchi fine there's a couple of um, reasons to congratulate him in there one for for taking the prize and actually yeah. visiting a Riga well, Bianchi and, and for a great great question which was who would you rather fight a duck sized horse and or a also horse duck sized horses got shown a picture of me posing with question asker uh, Johnny when he, Johnny, when he was aged sort of twelve, which I mean, I assumed you were the same age when you know when when he asked it. I don't know why, but yeah. I just sort of looked at his picture and assumed that Johnny is a young young boy. You you're a young chap. You've yeah, got a, a very 20. questionable mullet. Yeah, and, I don't know. Horrendous haircut. Horrific, shocking. That for me is what Whippets and Flat Caps is all about. Yeah, we're bringing stories, people together, bad haircuts. Yeah. Um, tapping into John's very strange fashion senses in the late naught, early noughties. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Um, a, a, a blast of nostalgia seeing that picture. I remember that picture being taken. Do you? You know, you were saying last week, Flash, about where you don't remember. Some people said you remember me from 12 oh, years ago at the Magic Weekend or something, and you don't. I actually remember that picture being taken. Go on, what, take us back to that. No, day. no, just... just, uh, just a really vivid memory of that young man asking me for a picture. He was in touch lines in the bar at the old stadium in front of... They used to have all the old shirts mm. uh, down this corridor and it was in there. I remember it happening. And it's good that he went to a Rigi Bianchi and actually oh. claimed his prize. Well, he had a great we, lunch as well, We have apparently. to say that he had a fantastic, fantastic lunch. Fantastic Bianchi are really hooking people up. Well, here. Nick Bianchi and Rigi Bianchi have had a great week. Yeah. Uh, headline sponsors for Macclesfield Town. Yes, the Silkman got, back the into Silkman the league. The got league promoted two. back into League Two. One at Eastleigh, I think. Yeah, John Askew, their manager, played 400 games for the club Probably and then managed legend. them into the Do you know where you league. saw that on Mark Chapman's Twitter feed? Uh, so you probably uh, need to do a bit more research than just looking on Twitter. It but, doesn't but go on Twitter. Good, no, good, John. Nick so. Bianchi told me that. Did he? Um, <coughs> that was a no. I mean, great, great for Arigi Bianchi to look after the uh, the food that they got down. I'm not sure if the wine came included, but I love that. And do you know what we need to do? We need to recreate that picture. So, Johnny. Get in touch with John Wilkin. We're going to recreate that picture outside Langtree Park or somewhere else. Yes. Um, questions then from this week. We're going to start with um, no particular order. This one from Daniel Caulfield, who says, Would you rather watch your mum and dad have sex every day for the rest of your life or join in once and never have to watch it again? Mm. I'm not answering that question. <laughs> You're not answering that question. Well, okay, we'll leave that um, to John. Well, I'd obviously rather watch for <laughs> <laughs> the rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, it's like anything. Why have you, you asked us that question? No, but if, you, on the list, if you do anything, if you do ask, if you do anything enough, such a dick. It's becomes, the first one on the it's list. Still, such a dick. Well, it becomes yeah. dumbed down eventually. Yeah. It'll just become that <laughs> normal that you, it's just like brushing your teeth. You have to watch that every day. Do you know Phil and Carol? Like you know, what I mean, eventually it would, it would, it ceased to be so shocking, and that in itself, then over time softening, is better than the the last. So, so you're rolling out Daniel's proposition, just getting involved once, just for a couple of minutes, getting and then never involved, having to, <laughs> never, never having no, to do it again. I think that's that's uh, okay. that's even more. Mark, you're not going to answer that. No. Okay. Um, let me just scan through these and just select some now after that to start. Um, Kel- Sorry, these are these are coming up in the order, so I'm trying to get through them. But Kelvin Fletcher, a friend of Whippers and Flat Caps, um, who nicked the pot kettle black outside bench, and has the culprit been reprimanded? He's got to give some context. I think he's going to win the well, prize, yeah, but Riggy Bianchi is for that. I can explain this. Um, we were in, I was in the coffee shop today having a, a chat with one of the chefs, and then a waitress came over and said, "Have you seen uh, one of the benches from outside?" And I went outside and 
got a series of wooden uh, tables with benches either side and one of them was missing and after an hour of looking around the arcade and looking around the streets of Manchester it still hasn't been found so I, I think- saw Albert Kelly sat on it Albert Kelly nicked it was he eating chicken nuggets? Yeah, yeah, he was eating his nuggets on it in Dean's Gate. <laughs> um, you've got. Do you know what you've got to do? You've got to applaud people who go for big, like big fish. You know, not just steal like a packet of crisps. Yeah, steal a full size bench. Is your small bench wooden bench? No, what I'm saying. Wooden bench, big it's, fish. There's, there's more practical things to steal. It's like, not, yeah, who it's, needs it's a two, incons- it's not like a two seater bench? Yeah, like it. it they I might actually, be coming back for the other one, and then the table, and then they've got a full <laughs> set. I, 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 I collect the whole I, set. I don't want to start causing some trouble, but I, th- there were some sort of chat that Common Ground had sent someone to, well, take it to their coffee it's, shop. Uh, it's as, as Francesca would like to tell everyone, it was too mumsy for her place. Hmm. Uh, Cameron Lad, uh, well, that is actually his name. Um, looks like a bit of a lad as well. He says, "I've just moved to Macclesfield and I'm skint. Can I have a free lunch?" Macclesfield or Manchester? Macclesfield, because that's where Riggy Bianchi is. All right. Well, that's the question. That's that's his. No, no, no. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Don't ask us. Ask Riggy Bianchi. Well, no he has. Thing. To be fair, he's well, tagged in a Riggy. But why Bianchi didn't he ask a well. good? Qu- if he, you know what, I'm mad at him. Why didn't he ask a great question? Pathetic. Pathetic. Uh, I, I quite admire his his cheekiness, but um, mm. we'll, we'll see. We'll come back to you on that one, Cameron. Um, okay, Dave Sheldon. It's the Pot Kettle Black Derby this week. Yes, it is, Dave. Predictions? Question mark. Is John looking for revenge after the knockout at Saints? You didn't actually answer that. I idea. think he will be doing it. I think there's a good chance I'm going to get a head knock because of karma. It was quite an unfortunate mm. incident. I've reveled in it a little bit for. Mm. for you didn't lols. say no immediately there, John. No. I'm, not, I'm not going to go. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Yeah, look. These things happen. I'm not. I'm not going to go. Ha, had Martin. it have happened the other way around, you, I think you would have got as much enjoyment. as No, I. I wouldn't have even referenced it once. Mm. Um, Terry Travis uh, got to say, I really enjoy the podcast. I see that he's buttering you up nice and early on. I've always recommended it to a good few people. We haven't always because it's only been going 13 weeks. Well, it'd been weird if you'd have recommended it two years ago, wouldn't it? As a Saints fan, it's great that John and Mark are on it. Shame that you're all City and not a proper t- uh, team in Manchester keep up the good work I don't know why I read that because it's not even a question next um, Stu M when giraffes go to work um, do you think they wear ties at the bottom of their necks or the top what's happening with our questions this week they've gone well what they've seen is that we really were ignited by the duck I see what they're doing sized horse um, do giraffes wear ties I don't think one I don't think giraffes have <laughs> a reason to wear a tie might, I, I might would be, be less disturbed or my my attention would be less taken by a giraffe in a tie uh, the, where the tie was positioned as to just the giraffe wearing a tie mm. I think that would be the most uh, confusing but, but thing. if I was to answer I'd say the bottom of the neck because that's where us humans wear our tie at the bottom of our neck we don't wear it up here do we yeah so yeah, I think it's not a bow tie is it so it'd be, no. yeah. depends where the shirt is you yeah. don't wear a tie unless well, you've well, got a shirt. So this, this draft would have to wear a, a, a very shirt long well. collared shirt, full full black tie. Yeah. Um, Steve Wood. Oh, I like I like the smell of this one. Um, did the makeup talks between John and Ryan Bailey at the England camp in 2011 really happen or not? And does John hate him? I don't think I hate him. Um, Steve Wood, former winner. Well, this is look what what I think what Steve Wood's referencing here is we were playing Leeds in the grand final. Hugely emotional time. Leeds had just beat us, but they scored in the final few minutes. Um, they'd won the game. And a bit going back to what uh, Damien Hughes said about Puyol and, and the way in which he reprimanded his players, Ryan Burley was squirting water at us behind the sticks. 
as the conversion was being kicked at the oh, end of no, the game. No, water. No, but shit, ju- jumping in our faces, squirting water at us, which was a completely disrespectful Lack and shambolic way to behave in that situation. Lack of humility, ego-driven nonsense that at the time I came out and criticised after the game because every single one of the Leeds players conducted themselves through that period with absolute class and real... You know when Damien mentioned guys who front up their culture in Sinfield and Peacock and Maguire? Mm. They were all behaving impeccably, but you had this dick who thought it right to behave like that and you know he got, I called him out on it okay um, did he make up do you hate him no we didn't make up That's do you nonsense. hate him I don't hate him no but, but you I really got, don't like him I ain't got time for him no okay uh, Steve good question and everyone remember Steve's um, Twitter handle Steve W O three one five seven six five three eight. saw catch <laughs> um, just got you another follow there Stevie uh, Neil Scotland which player did you as a kid uh, make you think rugby league was the game for me as a seven-year-old. Neil says it was the Aussie legend Phil Blake for me. I left totally. I was left totally mesmerised and even considered asking my mum if I could change my name to Phil. Mm, that's a bit weird. Over here, I used to. Um, I used to like Paul Scullthorpe having um, been an Oldham lad like myself. But I used to um, watch a lot of NRL as a kid. Uh, having followed Adrian Morley um, go over there and play for the Roosters and he was a great inspiration of mine as was Brad Fittler who was their playmaker and um, nearly so- said Adrian Morley then didn't you? I think I did yeah Adrian Morley Adrian Morley Adrian 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 yeah it's just like Adrian Morley what would Adrian Morley's diary be like um, oh, it, got I think sent it just off. loads of red pen again yeah yeah angry really angry man no no just very physical very player. aggressive on the field but um, great block John your answer who do you know what this is a bit controversial actually but uh, when I watched the game uh, as a young guy I had a video called 101 Greatest Rugby League Tries I had that as well Mm. and for those people who know um, it's probably one of the greatest sports videos of all time Mm. it essentially says it is what it says it's just 101 tries and a kick why 101 like the Dalmatians 101 Um, great tries great tries yeah I don't know the relevance of 101 Um, Mm. probably 101 being like is it the best of the best not not just 100 but 101 101 yeah Um, and on that I always remember Joe Lydon Joe Lydon being like mesmeric. He's a Wigan player. Mm. I know that's going to be controversial now as a St. Helens guy, but his, some of the tries he scored in that, there was there's one particularly who's witnessed. What number was it? Um, I don't, I don't know oh. if you don't recall. There's some great tries on that, though. Um, 101. If it, there's a guy called Peter Glynn for St. Helens scores Glynny. a try. Mm. And the remember com- what number the he com- was? <laughs> he was standoff. And the commentary, uh, just a really catchy bit of commentary when I was a kid that I loved, is if it bounces right, he's in. And it bounces right and he's in. <laughs> <laughs> it was class. Was it Ray French? Yeah, yeah. There's some class Ray French commentaries. You could literally, absolutely adored What's Ray French. What's your favourite Ray French line? <laughs> You've got uh, two, haven't you? In cent- <laughs> No, it's... Uh, the St. Helens centres, new love and arrow, over 32 stones of power and pace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got size, he's got pace, he's a local lad, which has no relevance to him being a good rugby player whatsoever. The fact that he lives close to the ground, he's that, it'll tick in the redeeming features of the player. He's got size, pace, and he's a local lad. This one from Nicholas Fletcher. I don't know if he's related to, to Kelvin Fletcher, but um, he says, question for you guys. If the two codes 
were to reunite to one form of the game, in brackets, on pain of death. Which rule from Rugby League would you demand remained and which one from Rugby Union would you least be happy to accept? I wouldn't like scrums in Rugby Union. That just looks horrible to me. Mm. What, yeah. get, what, what do you insist stays? Well, um, I would. If the game was to, to merge and there was to be a hybrid game, for me, the really sensible area for that to exist is the breakdown in Rugby Union. Too many people can be committed to it. But in league, the only common area I could believe is that if it was limited to a couple of people and that was essentially just a scrap for the ball almost like a play the ball set up um, so you'd have rooks and moors but only two or three players yeah, allowed to do it you'd be a limit, limited to you've thought about this haven't you yeah a couple yeah. of people getting involved obviously rugby union purists wouldn't like that but don't care don't really care um, also I'd bring it down to 13 men I think there's too many players on a rugby union field Um and uh, yeah, that that would be my two recommendations. Okay, um, two questions from Nick Weston. First one, serious question. This one oh. starts: Why, when we live in a world of YouTube millionaires and rugby league clubs, um, sorry, why, when we live in a world of YouTube millionaires, are rugby league clubs so shit and pre- press and social media? Um, I'm trying to translate this into English, Nick. Uh, why are they relying on an ever-shrinking pool of local journalists to promote the game? It should be part of a commercial strategy. Discuss. Well, because if you're the best of the best in anything, you go for the best jobs and the best sports. So it's the candidates. You know, the, do do you get the best candidates for those positions in rugby league? Probably not. I think and it's sport leverage, as well. sports leverage. As Damien Damien Hughes, again, not harking back to last week all the time, but he said sport leverages this emotional connection with being involved against the value attached to to working in sport. So people who come to work in sport probably get underpaid. There's a a real lack of connection between on-field salaries of players and office-based staff salaries and we I don't think... look to recruit the best of the best in the marketing, sales and media world, but we try and recruit the best rugby players in the world. And I think there needs to be a catch-up on the business side of things. I think uh, St. Helens and Salford are probably quite similar, similar, as a lot of rugby clubs are, whereas a lot of people working in the office are fans, and they probably play them, pay them a little bit less than they have to because they leverage their um, support and love of the club in order to work there for less. I think it's budgeting. I think they've probably got... Um, a young lad or a young girl who in charge of the PR and social media um, and I don't think it's there's enough emphasis and budget allowed um, to those to those streams and I, and I don't think there is forward thinking enough Eddie Hearn alluded to it when we first spoke to him that rugby league doesn't seem to embrace new media and that's social media and YouTube but, and all, of, all the things that go with it but with that as well is this guy what was the guy's name who asked the question Will? Um, the guy's name that asked the question was Nick Weston. Yeah, Nick Weston is saying about YouTube millionaires, right? So Nick Weston's looking at people who make YouTube videos about getting ripped, posting health and fitness blogs, about videoing parts of the lifestyle that are attractive to the entire population of the UK. So healthy lifestyle and living is, all right, let's say the 20 million people might be interested in it. Who's interested in a rugby league post genuinely it's not going to be enough people to make millions of pounds but it should be used more no, but, think. but each rugby league club has its own 10,000 15,000 fans so what is his example of YouTube millionaires is like we can't attract enough people to be interested in 
our strands of media to make it commercially sort of a you know a feasible decision to really throw all your eggs into that basket the reason why there are no staff journalists at all the big newspapers now pretty much is because the demand for rugby league news isn't there mm. not enough people buy a newspaper to read a rugby league story and that's so that's just podcast instead yeah yeah um nick's second question not so serious question what's the worst rugby league shirt you've ever seen a seen b no that wasn't right take two Take two. Nick Weston's second question. Not so serious question. What's the worst rugby league shirt you've ever A, seen, B, had to play in? P.S. John Wilkin is wrong about Magic Weekend. My brother and I are taking our kids for the first time this year. We're very excited. Probably the only Super League game we'll ever get to. Maybe Grand Final. I love that. Oh, your opinion is wrong. Yeah, no. I like that. that. Yeah. No, it's not. My, well, that's it How can my opinion be wrong? It's well, my opinion. well, it's wrong. You have a lot of wrong no, opinions. I said, okay. I said well, in my opinion. The question wasn't about whether your opinion was wrong. No, it is now. Okay. Um, no, no, it, look. So should we answer the worst shirt you've ever worst had Worst shirt I've seen. I think Sheffield Eagles had, like, their club colours, but then the crest was, like, a backdrop on the shirt. It was terrible. I think it was, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Had to play in? Um, bloody hell. No. John? I don't like how I work it for Salford this season. This season? Yeah. <laughs> it's a bombshell. The blue one, not a big fan. Mm. I don't know. I don't really care for kits too much. No. You're, more, in, you're more sort of caught up now because your chimp has come out of its cage that, that you've been rattled about. The, yeah, the yeah, no. Thing. I wanted to square him up on... on okay. Well, well done, do, do it very quickly. Bought, bought, do it, bought, maybe do it in 15 seconds. Um, well, the Magic Weekend is very good if it attracts people to the game, but you're spending your money there instead of spending it elsewhere. He's from Suffolk or Essex or somewhere down south, isn't he? Who? That guy. Nick Weston? Yeah, click on his profile. Oh, I can't because I've screenshotted the pictures. Yeah, it's not no. from a rugby league no, heartland. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Well, we, we, Magic we, we welcome people fans. from all sorts of... Uh, but he probably wants to watch a few matches uh, yeah. and, the, and the most value for money is to go to the Magic Weekend and watch yeah. six over a weekend rather than travelling to... And good on Nick Weston for doing that. Well done, Nick. Well, Nick, you're right. John's wrong. Well, no, yeah, I think... Well done, Nick. Uh, anyway, uh, a couple more, a couple more, a couple more. John Isaacs, if Will had to play, what position would you have him down as? Be on the bench. Yeah, predictable. John? Hooker. Yes. Um, Just because he likes them doesn't mean he will be one. Ooh. Um, Aaron Smith, what's the craziest thing one of your teachers <laughs> ever did to you when you were at school? Uh, I don't think I'll have to And did, did any of you ever receive... Corporal punishment. Have you got a teddy bear that I can point to when the teacher touches me? Well, bear in mind, I went to Harrow School, uh, Aaron, home of Winston Churchill. Mark went to... Hume. Hume Grammar. Yes. Yeah. South Sports Old, scholarship. South Oldham's Technology College. Um, so, yeah, go on then. In terms of punishments, what were your punishments? Because I think we have very different... What do you I'll, mean I'll punishments? You my... what, what, how was I punished at school? Well, so I'll give you one of mine and then you see how different it is. Because yeah, I'll be similar. So, I never so, had a detention at school. So one of, our, I had a few, one of my actually. punishments was, and this is, imagine doing this, right? Depending on how severe it was. I can't remember the actual name of it, which it was something like, you know, like the equivalent of lines, but you're given these sheets, these double-sided sheets, which yeah. are like kind of... Uh, revision card size and you had to get a certain amount of letters not just words a certain amount of letters on each line of Shakespeare so there had to be a certain amount of letters per line so if the word didn't fit the amount of letters per line you had to start again you had to start again you had to do however four or five sheets of these letters of Shakespeare 
to well, get it right. I mean, it was you would be at it for hours and hours and hours and hours. So what we used to do is kind of just photocopy other people's and just write them out. <laughs> but, I used, I mean, if I ever got lines at school, I used to do sellotape like five pens together in a row. So if I do one, it'd do the five lines clever. below it, Ooh, and then clever. do. So I was quite efficient with my time. I think mm. we had a really um, strange uh, swimming teacher that made us get out and stand on the side. Uh, Barry Bennell, was he? No, but I've just realised now it was very sinister. Go on. Probably well, we don't have to name him. Story. <laughs> we don't have to name him. No. What did he do fine. to you? Nothing. Carry on. <laughs> we had a sports teacher. If you forgot your kit, he said, if, you have, if you've not got your kit, you'll, you'll, you'll do sports without it. Mm. And he said, without having to having make you feel bad, I'll do the same. In, in the nut? Yeah. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, no, he, he did. did. He did. No, he didn't. Um, last question of episode thirteen from Sam Crossley, female Sam Crossley, who says, "If you could swap sex for one day, very forward, this Sam, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the first thing you would do as a woman? Ah, see, see, see I'd, I'd like fondle my boobs. Uh, well, I haven't finished. Oh, That's no. okay. Uh, what's the first thing you would do as a woman? And will would you shave your legs less or more often as a woman? I don't think you could shave them. Well, I, I don't any, shave them, Sam. I've I eat them. So mm. I'll continue to. In fact, I've, I've, I've done less veating of my legs and Would and you use because, more or less fake tan? Um, as a woman? Um, probably just the same amount I use now. Which is quite, quite yeah, a lot. But, I would, but now I've actually stopped beating my balls, John, since you sort of said there was a mild acid going into my body. Mm. Um, John, if you could swap sex for the day, um, what's the first thing that you would do as a woman? Um, I'd probably try and seduce Mark Flanagan, yeah. just to just, like the rest just to hear the extent of his horrendous chat. Mark Flanagan, circa 2014-15. Yeah, no, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Oh no, you know what I'd do actually? I'd um, I'd I'd, I'd uh, covet your attention, just yeah. to get underneath the surface, just mm. see. Get you into that apartment of yours and see what's really going on. Oh, my God, I'd give you yeah. a good scene, too. Um, <laughs> in fact, last one. This isn't a question, but it's great. Nigel Whisker, um, of course, of um, Daily Mirror Daily Mirror fame, says, for John next week, mm. question, my son Ted used to have a goodie Playmobil night, love Playmobil, called John Wilkin. This is a true story. Who was the baddie night that he used to fight? give you a clue he was an Aussie player Ooh. also wrote a song called Oxygen I don't know no Mark Willie Mason correct um, and then in brackets Nigel says uh, John would win because he would have a massive red dragon which would scorch Mason's filthy knackers off and he's put a picture of his son there with the flame of <laughs> dragon isn't that brilliant love that Nigel <laughs> thank um, you Nigel what's going in the sin bin this week for whippets and flat caps uh, parents on junior rugby league sidelines. You're gonna put the parents in the bin. I'm gonna put parent. I'm gonna put overzealous. Who's gonna parents. drive those kids home and look after them when they? I don't care. Throw them in an orphanage. The overzealous, <laughs> overzealous parents who who make give it them a, a toxic, second chance. A toxic environment for young people to flourish, and on feel it appropriate to abuse referees opposition players and probably even worse their own children whilst playing rugby league 
Do you know what? On that subject, our guest from two weeks ago, James Haskell, obviously we went to school together. His dad, Jonathan Haskell, was the best parent. <laughs> what sideline side warrior. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he, 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 was, he must have been banned about 15 times. Yeah. He was, I, love, I love him more than I love James. He is the greatest man in the history of this planet. Yeah. And he was banned. He was so... So says a lot about you. That's to. your hero. Oh, he was amazing, amazing. But but so you, so you ban the parents just because? Yeah. What? Because you know they're showing passion and they're showing interest in their. Not showing life. passion. I think passion is the wrong. It's misplaced. Uh, they're living their they're living their own lives through oh, their children. Yeah, and they just just like let the let the kids breathe, let the coach coach, let the referee referee, and just let them get on with it. Like I I think having an involvement as a parent. Like I'll use my parents as an example. They were really passionate about my career, but mm. were not vocal on sidelines. They gave me words of wisdom and guidance and, and allowed me to make my own mistakes and learn and change. And They weren't screaming and shouting on, on the sidelines, you know, rip his head off. And I just think the sidelines at youth sports are really careful. You've got to be really careful there, again, it right. The amount of encouragement um, you give the kids and the amount of influence your parents on a sideline have upon your children is is huge it's huge and i'm just putting i'm not putting all parents in we don't want mouth even the mouthy ones in just, yes just the bad ones the ones who are, who are overzealous in supporting their own child at the detriment to the team or to the yeah. to the rest of the players or particularly <laughs> abusive to opposition players uh fans or the referee would they get a second chance before they get put in the bin or and um yeah, you give them a benefit. It might have had a bad day at work. Yeah. Might not have got the chicken. But third time you're in, you're gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, they should be gone. Yeah. Okay, Mark. I'm going to put in um, referee checks before a match. So before the warm up, um, a referee and the linesman will come into each changing room and um, it'll go around each player, assessing their studs so the studs aren't too long, uh, the pads, and just assessing uh, fingernail, fingernail length. And I think it's uh, it's half arsed. Um, on one occasion, I put some sharp scissors down uh, down the me? down the side of my boot, half hanging out, just to see if they noticed, and they didn't. So for all they knew, I could have gone the field and, and shanked someone with with some sharp scissors. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Um, when that, was that? And who was the referee? I can't remember. It was a couple of seasons ago. I thought it'd be a joke, and thought they'd go, "Oh, take them scissors out of your, out of your yeah. sock," but they didn't. The one, machine gun down your trousers. No. So one thing they one thing they scissors. do is they, they they try and get you to stand up so they can check your nails. And then they get you to flick your feet up behind and check your boots. Yeah. But what I've started doing now is doing it from a seated position. Right. So essentially make myself into a giant sort of roast turkey sort of put my feet and my hands up at the same time to get them to check. Um, just to be just a bit half assed isn't it? So yeah. I'd get rid of that. Well, exactly. Yeah. They're not, they're, you know, they're, what are they doing? It's a tick box in it. Let's make sure he hasn't got a hammer down his pants uh, when he goes onto the rugby field. So referees Some checks. players do have something similar to hammer. Referees checks and naughty parents going in the bin for yes. episode 13. What an episode it's been. Don't forget to download the uh, podcast from iTunes, Podbean, your podcast provider. Leave a review as well. Follow us on Twitter. Do it. Follow us on Twitter right now. At Whippets RL. Do it. See do you next it. week.